and welcome back to Displaced Underdogs. I am your host, Morgan. I feel like I'm apologizing a whole lot to you guys about not updating as regularly as I want to or I feel I should. But today's episode and topic is a very personal topic. And um something that recently caused me to be hospitalized. So it has come to my attention that October 10th was Mental Health Awareness Day. And of course, how did it come to my attention? Social media. A few days after the fact. Um, a lot of Instagram influencers posting panic attacks. This is what a panic attack looks like. And I'm not saying that they're not real, but at the same time, it's really weird how you have a mental health crisis on the actual mental health awareness day. Um, and, and that's one thing that I'm going to talk about because even that is, is very unhelpful, but either way, I, I, it came to my attention via social media and stuff that October 10th was mental health awareness day. And it piqued my curiosity. Intrigued, for many reasons, I looked it up to see if it was, in fact, an actual thing. And turns out, yes, it is actually a thing. And green, wearing a green ribbon, is the color of mental health awareness. I I also thought it was just for Earth Day, but apparently mental health awareness. Like, everything has their ribbon and their color and designation and sometimes just from somebody that suffers from an episode recently and somebody that was diagnosed it it's just thanks but what does wearing a green ribbon really help with I, and Not only is October 10th mental, mental Health Awareness Day, but May this year of 2019 was Mental Health Awareness Month. Had no fucking clue. No idea. And, and so, again, curiosity peaked and very intrigued for many reasons, most of them personal. I delved into... my country of origin, the United States, and mental health, mental health awareness. What does that mean? Mental, mental health. And you know what I found when looking up mental health? Crisis. The mental health crisis of the U.S. There's also the mental health crisis documentary of China and Japan and just all over the world, it seems to be increasing and rising, but I can only speak to my country. 
the U.S. And like I said, I, I personally struggle with true diagnosed issues. They were diagnosed by a psychiatric doctor, therapist, professional. Um, and they're personal. And unlike some folks, we we all know, which I, you know, some people glamorize mental health and mental illnesses, and that doesn't help because it's not something you ever want. But uh, either way, I'll I'll get into that probably in a later episode. Um, but yeah, I suffer from issues that were in fact diagnosed by medical professionals. And like I said, in fact, at the beginning of this month, I, I was hospitalized for a mandatory 72 hours. Um, my own choice. And it was necessary. And, <laughs> and I feel what a lot of people feel, which I, I, I feel like I know I'm going to regret sharing any of this, but it is also why I want to do this episode. Awareness. Bring up some of the real hurdles and struggles that people face. And to start a real conversation about mental illness. Like, to start a real conversation of why the system is broke. And working in law enforcement in a capacity... Well... Yeah. This isn't to make me more relatable or to garnish attention or sympathy. This is to talk about mental health and the reality of the crisis that we see in so many countries. But, but again, I can only speak to my country of origin, the United States, and what we're seeing here. And yes, I do believe it, it is a crisis. There is still a huge stigma and, and misunderstanding around mental health. Because when you say you have a mental illness, everyone looks at you weird. And people start to treat you differently. And that's, that's one of the biggest hurdles. And I'll get into it here in a minute. And... and it seems like it's still very taboo to talk about mental health, especially when it's in regards to yourself. Now, if you're talking about like celebrities or again, influencers or people that it seems far removed, like a cousin's sister's nephew's grandfather or a friend's sister's second cousin, three times removed, boyfriend's mom, you know, 
then then it seems like it's okay to talk about that person because they're never going to hear some of the shit you say. And it's so far removed that it's like, eh, yeah, no, I've got it. The compare game that we do. No, you don't have it near as bad. Um, I don't know. I just, there's a lot to unpack. And, and with all of that said, please take a moment to just kind of settle in. <laughs> so sit back plug in, relax, and enjoy. So... A little bit of a somber intro because it's, it's what I'm feeling. Because um, this, this is a pretty heavy topic. And I would really like it to take a moment to say that if you are struggling with mental illness, that you're truly not alone. And if you listen to this, you, you'll find out why because again I'm gonna throw a lot of statistics and numbers and just just know that you are truly not alone if you know someone struggling with mental illness you are also not alone it not only affects the person with the mental illness but those around them as well. Friends, family members, co-workers, everyone. It is hard and, and overwhelming and very serious for everyone. Try to be kind with each other and don't be afraid to reach out. No matter how taboo we still treat it, no matter the stigma that is, is still around it. It is so vitally important to just reach out. And for those that know someone struggling with mental health issues, you need support as well. Don't ignore that. Don't ignore yourself. Just do not ignore you as well. If at any time during this particularly serious episode, you need to stop listening, please, please do. And if you need help, please don't be afraid to reach out and go seek it. I will do my best to list a few American national hotlines at the end of this episode for what it's worth. Um... And for listeners outside the U.S., please feel free to search your local options or reach out to a loved one that you trust um, to, to help you get help or seek help. Because, again, sometimes it can just be very overwhelming and isolating and we just feel like it's it's a social 
cultural problem that we feel like a burden and we don't want to worry other people but at the same time we know we need help so it's okay to reach out to somebody that you trust with all of that said let's just kind of jump into it to to understand in the US like why it's a mental health crisis to truly understand it you kind of have to go into the history of how we dealt with it um and you don't have to go that far back either so I know that here in the U.S., I I see and hear a lot of talk about mental illness and health, but hardly any action. Nobody does anything. Like, people go through training, and we talk about it, and, I mean, just recently at my workplace, we, we went through, just last month in September, we went through mandatory mental health training, and again it's something that makes a lot of people uncomfortable it's it's still something that makes people feel awkward and nobody wants to really talk about their personal experiences with it because they feel like they're going to be looked at differently and that they're going to be ostracized and that is a problem and and it's damaging when the conversation of mental health and mental illness gets attention in the mainstream news following a tragedy such as a murder or, more recently, mass shootings, it, it hurts and it makes it that much more taboo to talk about. Because if you admit that you have mental illness, all of a sudden you're scary and you have major character flaws and you might be the next fucking shooter. Which just is not at all the case. It, it is vastly unfair. And, and because we treat mental illness as dangerous or see it as a severe character flaw, it holds people back from jumping that first hurdle admitting and seeking help admitting that they need help and seeking help and it's also just horribly lazy reporting it ugh, it just paints everything in a bad light and makes you just not want to tell anybody like because the majority of people with mental disorders are in fact nonviolent and less likely to engage in violence against others and are more likely to be victims of violent crimes. Fewer than 5% of 120,000 gun-related killings were perpetrated by people diagnosed with an actual mental illness. Fewer than 5% of 120,000 gun-related killings. How we talk about mental illness to this day 
keeps the stigma surrounding mental illness as the major hurdle to seeking help. There are many more hurdles that I will get into later, but right now, I'm going to focus on the largest hurdle, and that's the stigma. The terms we still use to describe someone with mental illness is pretty deplorable. And you see it in mainstream media, like Dr. Phil, Dr. fucking Phil, which I know some people are going to be like, he's not a real doctor. He doesn't have a real PhD. But even Dr. Oz, who is an actual doctor, like some of the things that they say on their TV shows are just like the terms they use to describe it like weak-minded, character flawed, dangerous, crazy, psycho, insane, nuts, wacko, paranoid, stupid, weak, and the list goes on. And we all know it. We all tend to think it. And I would be a liar if I said that there weren't times, even though I suffer from mental illness, I... Even though I struggle with it, um, that I don't talk horribly as well about it. Like, that, we just, we do not talk about mental illness well. Because it is such, it is such a visceral reality that it cuts deep and like I said it it affects everyone it really does and also most people picture when you not only do those words spring to mind but also a lot of people tend to picture someone suffering from mental illness as someone from famous famous portrayals from mainstream media or movies such as Girl Interrupted or One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest or the less glamorous scenes of Sucker Punch when it's the reality versus the fantasy. Like, they picture facilities that are either cold and sterile or messy and in disrepair with cold, uncaring, burned-out staff, catatonic patients, or patients that are just so, oh la la, I speak to the fairies. Ooh, I can see your aura. I am going to call you Shana Kaka today. Or, or the patients that have the violent fits and need sedation as they're ranting and raving and are, are a danger to themselves and those around them. And they're getting strapped to a bed unsanitary unsanitary and inhumane conditions like shit like that pops to mind when we think of somebody like when we think of mental illness which sadly was actually kind of true back in the day up to around the 1960s which actually prompted some changes and forced politicians to make reforms one big reform being the community mental health act that president jfk 
signed in 1963. Now, again, bear with me on this little history lesson because, like I said before, it is vastly important that you understand. This is why it's one of the biggest hurdles, not only admitting that you need help, but also getting help. Now, the Community Mental Health Act accelerated deinstitutionalization, meaning state-ran institutions closed down and patients were moved back into their communities where they were supposed to get help in newly funded mental health centers. These centers were supposed to be like urgent care centers, but focused and catered to mental health. The idea, while noble, was like most noble ideas that look good on paper. It was to create less restrictive settings while protecting patients' civil rights. But again, like most noble ideas that look good on paper and sound really amazing, there's some huge issues. And the issue with this plan was that those centers never got fully funded back in 1963 and in most cases fell by the wayside resulting in a lot of the people that got released from these institutions, a lot of these patients that got released and moved back to their communities, never received the services they needed. And new patients never received those services as well. To compound the issue of the mental health crisis further, And the starts of it. In 1988, President Ronald Reagan slashed mental health spending by 25%. Federal psychiatric funding went down by 30% in the years to follow. In the 1950s, there was one psychiatric bed per 300 Americans. In 2010, there was one psychiatric bed per 7,100 Americans. In 2013, an estimated 43.8 million adults in the U.S. had a mental illness. 10 million had serious mental illnesses within the past year. So that age-old solid advice that people like to give of you can always get help if you wanted help leads seamlessly into the other major hurdle hurting mental health. It's just not the reality and it's not the case. 90 million Americans live in areas with little or no access to the proper services to treat mental illness or even a mental illness crisis. In 2009 to 2012, states made even further cuts to mental health services to the tune 
of $5 billion defunded from mental health services. The public safety net for the mentally ill spans Medicaid, which is different state to state across the U.S., eight different federal agencies that administer around 112 different programs that in some way touch on mental health. And with all the cuts in funding, both federal level and at the state level, there simply are not enough people to help. There are fewer and fewer people going into psychiatric professions compared to other medical professions. And with those 90 million Americans that don't live in areas with proper access to proper services, it equals longer distance to travel to get the proper help, which also then means longer wait times for treatments or no options, period. People are waiting three to four weeks to be seen by an intake specialist. And then you see an intake specialist who listens to you briefly. 45 minutes is the average time to ask you a bunch of general questions and then a few further questions. And you can't really expand on it. So they're only getting a snapshot of what's going on. And then they tell you to go see a nurse who takes your vitals, takes your stats, height, weight, how much you smoke, if you smoke, how much you drink, if you drink, do you do drugs or like, it's just like a basic questionnaire, a basic physical. And then you might get a phone call, typically two weeks later, to revisit an intake specialist to then wait another two to three weeks for them to match you up with a psychiatrist. And while it's nice to feel like you're getting personalized care, the problem is people's lives are on the line. And if you're going through a crisis, you may not even get help. Because... If you needed, really needed help and an inpatient care, the U.S. only has 28% of the beds necessary needed to take those people in. Or if you find outpatient care in the form of a good psychiatrist you like and has experience with your particular illness and you finally get matched up with that psychiatrist... After three to four weeks, your insurance may not cover it. And this is where we will take a brief break before continuing. Kind of a cliffhanger, I know. But when we come back, we will get into the other hurdle. Insurance. And where people usually end up.
Well, it looks like it's not going to let me take a pause to add in some little intermission music. So, <laughs> uh, and as I said in the beginning, this is a heavy topic with so much in it to unpack and there's still so much more to cover. So let's get back to it. I hope you all got yourself a snack, something to drink. Have a long commute or, or laundry to fold. <laughs> That's what I usually do whenever I listen to podcasts. Um, this is a pretty long episode and a topic I take very seriously. I mean, the fact that I'm going to read this next part is just absolutely... I mean, my fingertips went numb and my hand was cramping from writing this all out a while back. <laughs> like... Again, I write my scripts out just to keep me focused and on point, but I still kind of meander into anecdotal stories and opinions. <laughs> Anyways, another hurdle, if you're able to find the proper services and a good psychiatrist that you like, is insurance. And the fact that your insurance may not cover it. Many insurance companies back in the day often didn't cover mental health visits and those companies that did used to be able to charge, that, that did cover in mental health visits, used to be able to charge higher co-pays for psychiatric care than for other routine or emergency medical visits. And could limit the number of visits, mental health visits, per year, up until 2008, when the Mental Health Parity and Addiction Act forced insurers to cover mental health equally to all other health services. Which, my conspiracy theorist is kind of coming out just a little bit, because in 2008... That was the year that was right before one of the U.S.'s biggest economic crises since the Great Depression. Also, it was towards the tail end of some of the bloodiest times of the Iraq War and during an election year of good old George W. Bush Jr. passing the presidential torch to Barack Obama interesting how all of a sudden <laughs> all these vets are starting all these people are coming home from a war that was long running and a lot of people don't understand um it was still kind of in the thick of it it was like the middle stages of it so yeah that is again just my conspiracy theorist and 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 military mental health, I mean, that is that is an entire episode all its own. But, again, I kind of meander and I'm sorry. Back on track. But insurers, insurance companies are still finding loopholes. Seeing your therapist weekly, if your treatment plan calls for that, adds those co-pays 
up quicker than that once annual visit to your regular physician. Those copays add up really quick. So, new rules or not, cost is still a very real barrier to getting the help you need. And some, if not most, non-traditional treatments like acupuncture or massage therapy or even couples therapy are typically not covered. And I have personally ran into this with couples counseling. Most insurance companies and most mental health centers only cover individual therapy. But if you need family counseling or couples counseling, most insurances, as well as centers, don't cover or provide for those costs and those therapy sessions. And couples counseling or family counseling typically costs around $120 for one one hour session. <laughs> That's almost as expensive as daycare with state aid for one kid. So what happens to these people that need help with mental illness and can't get it? Or those that struggle with severe mental illness and have a crisis? Well, I can speak to this personally because I see it on a day-in, day-out basis. A lot of these folks end up in local jails or state prisons. Close to 400,000 adults with some form of untreated, diagnosed but untreated mental illness are in jails or prisons across the U.S. Jails and prisons are quickly becoming the modern-day mental institutions of old. In 2010, 10 times as many as 356,000 adults, 10 times as many mentally ill people were in jails than in state hospitals. 356,000 adults with mental illness incarcerated to the 35,000 adults with mental illness that were being treated at some form of state hospital. Around 2 million people with a mental illness will end up in state or county jails or in prisons a year, and 30% of the homeless have severe mental health issues, illnesses, so they end up in jail or they end up homeless. And that is roughly, in those 30% of the homeless that have severe mental health Ill issues and or illnesses, is roughly five times the rate of the general population. And for any out there that say, well, 
it will take a ton of money to fix the system. It's just too expensive and throw your hands up in the air. Like, ah, well, I don't have a mental illness, so <laughs> looks like I'm in the clear. And why do I want to pay to fix this problem if they're just going to end up in jails anyways? Let me just say, no, it is not too expensive to fix. In fact, it is more expensive to not fix it. We, the taxpayers, pay more for the consequences of mental illness than actual treatments. For every 2000 to $3,000 on treatment, 50000 $50,000 is saved on incarceration costs. And the national average cost of a funeral is between 7000 to $10,000. We pay for it. Whether it's through taxes, higher taxes, to cover incarceration costs or money to cover funerals. And that is pretty extreme, but it's the truth. And when I say we don't talk about mental illness well, death is a part of it and we don't do well with death either trust me seven years as a med aide and a caregiver I know we don't do well, well with death in this country either and when I say mental illness I am not just talking about severe bipolar, autism, schizophrenia, or dementia and illnesses that run along those veins. No, it also encompasses PTSD, anxiety disorders, depression, cluster B personality disorders, eating disorders, ADD and ADHD, and many, many others. Again, I personally have been diagnosed with PTSD, clinical depression, anxiety, and a long time ago, eating disorder, anorexia, bulimia. Sounds pretty basic for a female, right? And for most people. And that was when I was younger. I, I struggled with this in high school. And I'm not going to lie. I had an amazing mother that got me in to see an amazing counselor when I was younger. And that helped equip me with decent coping tools. It didn't mean I was miraculously cured and that these went away. It just means that I was able to manage it all a lot better. 
to be a more normal, decent, stable person. And then up until recently, I was fine. I was okay. And then at the beginning of this month, we kind of had a family crisis that stressed me out to my breaking point. And you can only maintain for so long before you just can't fake it anymore. And I hate it when people are like, well, you kind of have to fake it to make it. You, that doesn't, that's, that's a band-aid. That's a bullshit, lame, lazy excuse. Fake it until you make it. And what happens when you can't fake it anymore? I mean, again, you can only maintain for so long before you just, you, you cannot fake it anymore. Or you need to learn and, and add new coping mechanisms to your tool belt and, and your bag of tricks. Which again, journaling is actually quite beneficial and helpful. But not when you hit crisis. And it affects more than just the person suffering from the mental illness. I mean, I had lunch with my mother and my great and my grandfather the other day, and and she was in tears. And one of my really good friends said some really hurtful things, and I may have possibly lost that friendship. And before you go, oh, well, they're not a good friend, I I can't blame them. It comes from a place of fear and hurt. And there's other things surrounding it, too. But, I mean, and I had my dad so worried that the man that has always been 10 foot tall and bulletproof was scared that he was going to lose his little girl that he was in tears mental health and illness affects everyone my kids picked up on it and to know and see that cut the deepest of all and the thought that I had depriving them of a mom for 72 hours was better than depriving them of a mom forever. If your loved one is, is struggling with mental illness, I implore you to please reach out and get help. It is out there and it is hard to find, but it is out there. The mental health America hotline is one 800 985-5990 or you can text talk with us to 66746 at the SAMHSA disaster distress helpline or go to your nearest hospital don't let fear and stigma of mental illness stop you trust me I still feel very uncomfortable and that 
uncomfortable squirm of unease, fear, and doubt as, as I talk to you all about something so personal and heavy. And I'm sure I will regret this episode. Pretty sure I will. At the same time, I won't. Um, still gonna post it up, so, <laughs> you know. But I'm not gonna lie, my palms, like the palms of my hands and the palms of my feet, are, are sweating. They were sweating as I, uh, wrote out my script. And, and there's that nervous, clammy, sweaty feel to them while talking to you all about this. Like, it makes me squirm uncomfortably so. And so, so I'm sure at this point you all are like, well, thanks for the hotlines. Like, but what do we do to, to fix the actual problem? Well, in order for help to work, patients must feel comfortable to seek it out. And it has to be available for them to seek out. And it's really, what really holds a lot of us back is, is the stigma surrounding mental illness. The stigma around mental illness holds a lot of people back. Because mental illness is treated as dangerous or a major character flaw. And it's, it's seen as something humans are weird we are very weird creatures if if we don't know we're we have a very real fear of the unknown we hate the unknown we are definitely creatures of habit and if somebody is not normal they seem scary dangerous they seem to be fundamentally flawed and and that's kind of what we do and how we treat mental illness. And a lot of people that struggle with mental illness, whether it's minimum, minimal struggles or, or huge crisis moments, like there is a very real fear of being ostracized or institutionalized. But admitting you need help is the first and biggest challenge. And getting the help is kind of the second challenge. Having actual conversations about mental health that gets us somewhere is, is better than throwing up our hands and just talking about it posting about it on social media, putting literal definitions of mental illnesses, bipolar, OCD, anxiety, on a fucking shirt. It, like, we have to have real conversations. And we have to have real solutions. And the only way to get to a real solution 
is to break the stigma and have a conversation. Who knows what they need help with better than somebody that struggles with. And we have to realize, too, that depression is different for everybody. We have to get away from these cookie-cutter everything fits in this box definition and and these cookie cutter treatments oh you're depressed here's zoloft oh you're depressed here's some wellbutrin oh you're depressed here let's this isn't birth control this isn't like one size fits all here's an implant here's a intrauterine device this this is very much personal and and I also dislike when people try to this is where it feels like people glamorize it a little bit you say that you struggle with depression next thing you know we all know that friend we all know that person the one-uppers of our lives, you say you're suffering from depression, they ask like what's wrong and stuff and, and you finally tell them that you've been diagnosed with and it's like, oh, well I've suffered from depression for years and you don't have depression. You just have the blues. And it's almost like if you don't suffer from it for years, <laughs> Like, all of a sudden, you just, you don't have it. You're, you're not clinically depressed. When was the last time you saw a therapist? Oh, 14 years ago? When you were 18? <laughs> yeah, I've been seeing a therapist. For years. Because I get depressed. And it's... And I don't know. And it's also very much a lot of comedians. I've I've noticed in a lot of stand-up comedy specials that I've been seeing on Netflix. They're great. They're great comedians. Up until they start a joke off with this famous line. And I'm sure you'll fucking notice it when I say it. So I was talking to my therapist the other day. Cool. Are you actually seeing a therapist? Or are you not? And and comedians can be some of the saddest people that suffer from mental illness and they use humor as a way to cope. A lot of people, that's normal. But... But again, sometimes it's presented wrong. I don't know. I guess it's uh it really bothers me not because oh I suffer from or I have issues that I'm dealing with. It it's more it's so cliche and it's just so overplayed. Oh wait, 
bet you the next joke is going to start with, so I've been talking to my therapist. And you know what they told me? Just wait for it. And there's that formula in play. So, yeah. So, if you're wondering where we go from here, I I guess have a real conversation about it. Don't be afraid to reach out. And if you're in crisis, please, please seek help. It sucks. For the people that you love. For your friends. For your family. Not to make you feel any worse. Because trust me. (laughs) When you have depression. It's super. Super great. You already feel like. Such a burden. And you already feel like. Such a. Weight. Like Florence and the Machines. I'm so heavy. So heavy on your arms. Yeah. You already feel like that. Which is just the greatest feeling in the world hint hint on the sarcasm hopefully it comes across but yeah total sarcastic it like so i know (laughs) so again if you're if you if you or someone you know is having issues and struggling reach out and sometimes all you need to do just let them know that you're there and when you say you're going to be there fucking be there like that's the other thing just 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 fucking be there don't say oh i'm here for you like some distant relative sending you a fucking sympathy card after your fucking grandma dies. Oh, thoughts and prayers. Oh, if you need anything, just let me know. Because then the moment that you're like, I, I need you. The moment that you have exhausted all other reaching out to people that you feel comfortable with. And you just remember that person. Like. And then you reach out to them, and then they're just like, why Why are you talking to me about this? You said that if I needed anything, you would be here. Is that not... If you say something, mean it and follow through with it. And again, if if you're a loved one, a friend, a family member, a coworker of someone struggling with mental health... for lack of a better word, issues, don't forget to take care of yourself. And don't take on their sadness and their anxieties as your own. Be there for them. Support them. But not so far as to where it's detrimental for you. And if you're not willing to be that phone call at 3 a.m., that that person that answers the phone at 3 a.m., 
Don't offer yourself up. Know your limits and be realistic. Don't offer up any time. Anytime you need to talk, just call. And and don't be that person that's like, well, you can just be happy. Just stop being sad. Be more positive. Because when you're going through it, when your mind is telling you all the fucking horrible things. And you start believing those lies. You can't really see the forest. When you're just staring at a tree. So. With all that said. Um, I'm not going to lie. This is the busy time of year for me and I'm going to be particularly busier than normal this year. Um, so again, I, I really want to post more regularly. But I apologize if there's gaps and it's not as regular as I would like. I feel that's very unfair to you guys. But I'm, I'm trying to be as honest as possible. I, I will try to get another episode out. Hopefully one that's lighter and fluffier and not so dour and sad <laughs> and serious oh so serious so um yeah last episode i talked briefly on mindfulness so i don't know there might be a part two to that there might be a part two to this there's definitely going to be a part two to this mental health crisis um only because media social media and how that plays a role and what some experts believe are the cause of the rising numbers of people suffering from mental illness um yeah so i don't know um Thank you again for plugging in and listening. Please, please feel free to reach out to me at displacedunderdogs at gmail.com or find us on Instagram or Facebook by searching Displaced Underdogs Podcast. Um, or, you know, you can always send a voice message to me directly through Anchor. I will share that link um, on my Instagram. So you can always send in a voicemail if you so choose. Sometimes typing out an email or a text can 
doesn't necessarily convey because writing text is not you can't pick up on nuance of speech so yeah feel free to reach out to me and until next time stay safe create and truly enjoy your day find that one thing that brings you joy because in a previous episode we have 80,000 thoughts a day and most of them are negative so find that one that's positive and do your best to hold on to it again until next time stay safe create and enjoy your day thank you truly and genuinely thank you for tuning in until next time bye